With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Everybody needs to learn how to communicate effectively, whether you are making new friends, you're meeting significant others, you're selling, you're negotiating, you're working with clients, talking to your family, whatever. We always have to communicate. And a classic way to communicate, of course, is writing. So in this little series that we're doing, Hooked on the First Line, we look at the best first lines in all of literary history. I work with Cal Fussman, among others, and we talk about the best first lines we've ever read and why. Because you have to know why a line is effective. And usually there's a combination of mystery and a little bit of excitement and drama. But you'll see. You'll see from this first example. I hope you enjoy it. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So the good thing about a great first sentence, and this maybe is the key thing about a great first sentence, is that to appreciate this sentence and the conversation we're going to have about it, you don't have to you don't have to have read the rest of the book. That's the idea is that the first sentence is so good. It kind of draws you in right away to the universe of the book. So can I give you an example, Cal? I am waiting to hear. All right. So this is a book I read like in, I don't know, 1991 and haven't looked at it since. I do not remember the book at all. But when I was looking around for good first sentences, I loved this first sentence. So the, the sentence is, and then you might be able to guess the book, but we'll, we'll talk about it. The sentence is, many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel <laughs> Aureliano Buendia, Buendia was to remember that distant <laughs> afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. Like, this is the most beautiful first sentence ever. I'm going to read it one more time. Is that okay? That's great. 100 years of solitude. Go ahead. Yeah, by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. So many years later, as he faced the firing squad, Colonel Aureliano Buendia was to remember that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. And I, I'm curious of your opinion, but here's what I love. First off, this is the first sentence. So many years later than what? <laughs> Nothing's happened yet. It's the first sentence. So, so presumably there's some story, and then many years later, something happens. And what happens? 
many years later, comma, as he faced the firing squad. So clearly something bad has happened. He's facing the firing squad. Then it says Colonel Aureliano Buendia. So he's a colonel. He's a high-ranking person in the military. And he's remembering that distant afternoon when his father took him to discover ice. So what does it mean to discover ice? There's so many like almost cliffhangers in this first sentence. And it's this mystical aspect too. Like what does it mean to discover ice? And there's war, there's death, there's a whole lifetime because we know some, some intense story happened in the middle of this life. And there's also this formality. It's not just the Colonel or Aureliano, it's Colonel Aureliano Buendia. So there's like this formality almost. And how did, why, what happened to get him in front of this firing squad? Well, it's, it's remarkable in that it takes you backward and forward or forward and backward at the same time. And you have no idea like where you are, what's the time period, where you're going, why the colonel's in trouble. And, and also it ends with innocence, the, dis the discovery of ice. I mean, it, it's something that's so basic and that innocence is juxtaposed to the fact that this man is in front of a firing squad, which you don't know is, did he do something to merit being put in front of a firing squad? Is it all unjust? It just makes you jump in for a million reasons. Yeah, there's like an element of nostalgia too, like the father. There's also, there's also something... Met, there's like a metaphor here with the, the discovery of ice or something cold. So something hot-blooded had to happen to get him in front of the firing squad. And also we know some story occurred because many years later after the story, so there's some action in it or adventure or whatever, but then there's the coldness of that ice as the last word. It's almost like there's an entire novel like squeezed into this sentence. I don't know how you could stop reading after you read that sentence. And, you know, this is the key, like, Cal, you and I, right before the, this episode, we were talking about AI, and obviously a lot of writers wonder, what is the role of, of AI in writing? And again, I sort of feel like, and, and of course, AI will get better, who knows how much better, but humans are curious, and we like a good story, we like cliffhangers, and you're right. I feel this is a very human way to start a novel. Like, like Gabriel Garcia Marquez knows all of the seeds he's planting in this first sentence to keep people going. Like, maybe you're not going to go because you want to find out how this guy discovered ice, but you want to find out why he's in front of the firing squad. Or you might want to read it, continue, because many years later after what? You want to know what that what is, and on and on. Or just simply because of the beauty of the language and when you're reading it in English, which is not in the language it was written in, Spanish, which is going to flow in like a more poetic way. But, you know, that sentence was translated in a very poetic way. I'm not sure if it was Gregory Rabasa that did that, uh, but he was a master at, at what he did. So there's infinite reasons to keep reading. And it's, it's the reason it's one of the great books of all time. 
Yeah, I've never read anything else by him. I read that and I remember loving it, but I don't remember anything about it. And then I know I, I started reading, but I never finished Love in the Time of Cholera. Is that a good book worthy of reading? That's a great, great, great book. In fact, I'm looking at it on my wall right now, the, the title really? page. Yeah, it's, uh, I just blew it up and he actually signed it. So it's, You're kidding. Yeah, it's right in front of me. How much is that worth, a signed book by Gabriel Garcia Marquez? Well, I, I don't know, but I don't, uh, maybe I shouldn't be just talking about it. It might be, I'll have to hide it now. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get robbed. <laughs> you, you know, I, the other thing is, I don't know, like, how many people see value in that right now? Well, it's a good point because, first off, in general, I feel literary novels are not as popular as they once were. Like, let's take the 1920s as an example. People like Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald were cultural heroes. They were like pop stars and they were literary writers. Now we know John Grisham, we know James Patterson, you know, the kind of thriller novelists, the ones that you, you buy to read on an airplane or at a beach or whatever because they're, they're page turners. Like, I don't really know the last literary novel that was huge in the way, you know, literary novels used to be. And the people who are writing them, you know, maybe I'm just thinking of an example of somebody who, in a large sense, has been put before the public as an example of a writer who went all in on a topic and is noted for it. And that would be Simon Rushdie, who mm. unfortunately was like recently shot for uh, writing the satanic verses. Uh, see, did he recover? I, I don't even know what happened after that. Uh, he's live. I, I think it's been very low keyed. Uh, maybe I should uh, look into that. I hope he's doing fine. I had lunch with him. Uh, at one point when uh, I think the, the fight was still on him. And, you know, I remember like you're looking around, you're always wondering, like, could, is this the day? Uh, and it, it was actually a great conversation. And I remember he, uh, he ordered a second glass of wine, which he said he like rarely does, but he just was feeling relaxed. And I was glad that he could have that moment of relaxation. Well, what did you talk about with him? Well, we, we talked about his life's experiences of like what it took to get to a place uh, to, to write that book, which I don't think very many people have read. It's one of those things when you write a book called the satanic verses and it is tweeted out or put over the internet as blasphemy against religion that becomes bigger than the actual book the, like the fatwa became bigger than the book i think oh yeah because by the way i found the book personally to be unreadable now he's written other books that i found to be very readable but I couldn't get through the first chapter or two of the Satanic Verses. It's it's disappointing to a lot of people. I think Midnight's Children is the book that will 
live on. And he actually talked about it. He said he will go wherever he goes to, knowing that his book will live on after him. There are already generations of people who have read it, and it is a bullseye in that culture, and it will be passed on. It's a landmark. And so if you're looking for a book by Simon Rushdie, I suggest you start with that one. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests? And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. 
So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Let's see what the first line was of the satanic verses. Here we go. The chapter title is the angel Gabriel. And the first line is to be born again, saying Gabriel Farishta tumbling from the heavens. First, you have to die. So that's, that's a good first line because also, is this an angel? But why does he have a last name? And why, why is he tumbling from the heavens? And is this his way of dying so he could be born again? So that actually does draw me in. I'm interested. It's it's mystical. And yeah. it, it, it has that quality. And it reminds one of the story of Lucifer as well, but that's, this is not like Lucifer's name. So it's, and again, it's the last name aspect is kind of confusing to me. Well, I, I think once you write a sentence like that and you've invited the reader in, you got to keep it up. Yeah, and it, it inspires the writer, too, to keep going like that. That's right. So the question is, what happened along the way that stopped you from getting to chapter three? Yeah, I don't know, actually, because I don't even remember that first line. Because now I actually really do want to read, like, A, why is, this, why is this guy who might be human, might be angel, why is he tumbling from the heavens? Also, what happens to him 
when he lands on Earth, something must interesting must happen to him. Hence, the whole novel is starting with him. And third, you're right. The 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 fact that there was this fatwa declared by the Ayatollah of Iran against him because of this book makes me want to read also. Now, do you ever see the um, Curb Your Enthusiasm episode with Salman Rushdie? I did not. So, so Larry David is making a play called Fatwa, and a fatwa is also made against Larry David in, in, the, in the show, Curb Your Enthusiasm, a, a fictional fatwa. And so he meets with Salman Rushdie to get advice. And Salman Rushdie, you know, says, wait, you know, lean in. And they, he says secretly, fatwa sex. Like everybody is going to want you. Like, don't be afraid of the fatwa. You're going to get tons of fatwa sex. That's what that whole episode is about is, is the fatwa worth all the fatwa sex that, that uh, Larry David is now getting? Well, that's the beauty of Larry David. Yeah. So that's a hundred years of solitude. I think I kind of want to read it again, but I, I am was incredibly impressed by that, by that first line. We could go on to the next episode and the next first line. And you you know what? The last line is as good as the first. Oh, what's the last line of a hundred years of solitude? Yeah, let me. I, I don't want to spoiler. Next, I I can leave it as a spoiler. Hang on. So stop here if you don't want the spoiler, just in case it's a spoiler. But I, I don't know if it is a spoiler. I don't remember it. Well, let's see. Oh, man. It's a long last sentence. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm not going to read it because it should be read as the last line in the book. All right. Yeah. By the way, I will tell you that if a writer writes a great last line, first off, if it's a good novel, a great novel, and then if they wrap it up with an amazing last line, for me as a reader, that's the most pleasurable experience you could have as a reader. I remember one time I read this novel and the last line was so good, I had to explain to my girlfriend at the time the entire novel so I could just read to her the last line because I thought the last line was so beautiful. Like that's how important a last line is. Well, it's sort of like finishing a great meal with a great dessert or just the right after dessert wine and you walk out with that taste in your mouth. Uh, and because if you have a great meal, but the dessert isn't so good or doesn't live up to everything that preceded it, it kind of reduces the experience. Yeah. But if you can get, not only nail the whole meal, but then nail the last line, you're leaving with that last taste in your mouth and that sort of encompasses everything. And, and, and that's what happens here. I, I don't want to ruin it. You, you really should read our book in order to get to that place and go, oh, man. You know, people will, will read a book for the first line, but they'll remember a book because of the last line. And, and think about it. It's not so different from TV series. Like, take The Sopranos, for instance. There's a lot of both positive and negative feedback on the last scene of The Sopranos, but I would say most people did not like the last scene, and that tinged the entire series for many people. You know, why did they have such a tremendous reaction against that last episode? 
I don't know because I actually like the last scene in that, but you know, I think it like fades to white, right? Yeah, and and it's sort of like in a very odd way, like you don't know there. It's just a family dinner in this diner, but you don't know if people are about to kill him. Like there's weird people walking around, and they're kind of doing it in slow motion, and then boom, it just like fades to black or fades to white or or whatever. Well, and I think the important thing is is it faded to white, not to black. Because if it faded to black, people would have made the connection that I got knocked off. Yeah, I think the assumption was is that someone in the diner was gonna is gonna kill him or did kill him. And we just don't know. We just don't know the answer. And I and I think, you know, it's very hard to conclude a series that has such a powerful arc like the Sopranos. Uh, you know, I, I feel Mad Men did a good job kind of closing it off. For me, um, I liked the final scenes of Lost, but a lot of people did not like it. Uh, you know, it's it's very hard to do it though when you have such a strong arc to close it off in a way that's going to satisfy everyone or satisfy anyone really. Look, this is why for anybody who wants to be a great creator, these are the sort of details like find something you love and break it down and analyze it, and there's always going to be interesting things you uncover because great artists. Everything is done with a reason. And analyzing that reason and understanding it helps us to become great creators, whether that means business creators or novelists or painters or actors or whatever. So in any case, Cal, this was the first episode. It was the, the line from 100 Years of Solitude. And I've got a great one, one of the most famous books ever for the second episode. All right. Well, I'm... I am going to be a devoted listener. And if you want, you can have me back. And uh, Oh, you're going to be back for the first 10 at least because we're doing them all right now. <laughs> oh, man. 